Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank on Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass. A Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Blankers was like the Texans' defensive line yesterday. Jumping a little bit offsides. I did. My four fault. times in that game oh, yesterday. Goodness, pretty, pretty atrocious. We'll get to uh, lots of Texan stuff throughout the show. Very busy day. Yeah, most Mondays are in the football season. Especially whenever you've already played two games over the weekend in the American League uh, Division Series. So very busy show. Jam-packed Joe, Mailbag Monday, the the normal. You know, we're handing out game balls a little bit later. What do you believe after the college football weekend? But what a... What a disappointing sports day yesterday was, <laughs> in hindsight. Like, hate starting with negativity, but you lose a football game that you, you could have won. I won't say you should have won it, but you could have won it. And then the baseball game was the Pablo Lopez show and really was never a game. Yeah, yesterday. it was almost, depending on how much you mourned the Texans' loss, it was almost like a noon until almost bedtime to where it was all nothing but negativity because you your takeaways were as much as you were juiced up during the you know when you woke up that morning yesterday morning going hey we got a chance to take a a, a stranglehold on the American League Championship Series Texans going to make a statement win one of these next couple games that are supposed to be winnable and everything's going to be great in the world and you went to bed going what the hell just happened yeah not it was a bit of a gut gut punch yesterday for the city of Houston not all is lost you know we wanted the Texans to get to the bye at 3 and 3 and all the Astros have to do is split in Minnesota so they can get the honor of facing Pablo Lopez again in a potential Game 5 at Minute Maid Park on on Friday. But Game 3 tomorrow, uh, first pitch of that game a little bit after 3 o'clock. We will not be on the air tomorrow because we'll be carrying that game, the Astros game. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be at Wakefield Crowbar to watch that game. It starts at 1. The show in front of us, Connor and Beard, Connor and Josh. What are they calling it, Joe? Connor and Beard. calling it Connor and Beard? You got it right the first time. Okay, so that's both of their last names, Connor and Beard. So Connor and Beard will be out there for 30 minutes. They're going to hang out throughout the game. We're going to go there a little bit early, hang out throughout the game, and then we'll be on on the air with our show as soon as that game and that broadcast ends. But let's start with some uh, some good, bad, and ugly, as we often do through the, on a Monday for the Houston Astros over the weekend. I feel like we have to start ugly because of the most recent game. It was a game that you lost yesterday to the Minnesota Twins against the Pablo Lopez uh, you know, coming out party, I guess. Kind of turned himself into a superstar uh, yesterday. What bads did you have from yesterday's loss? to the Minnesota Twins? Well, the bad was, I think, pretty much anybody in the lineup named Al- not named Altuve or Jordan or maybe Pena. I mean, the rest of the offense has just not done a whole hell of a lot in the start in this series uh, to start with, and, and that's extremely disappointing. I, and Brantley, I should give Brantley his love because Brantley st- looks like it's unbelievable what the guy's able to do, whether he's he's ailing or not. But, you know, Bregman and, and a lot, you know, a lot of guys that you're, you're really – you know, Joe had said the corners were big. If you were getting something from Abreu and Bregman, this offense could be really, really good. Well, when you're not, it can be pretty, pretty bad, and yesterday was pretty bad. Yeah, the offense yesterday in general was not good. Uh, look, Pablo Lopez was good. Mm-hmm. The whole do you tip your cap to the opposing pitcher, that sort of thing, I think you can. I also think the Astros' approach against Pablo Lopez was not great. It's like They were just watching first pitch strike after first pitch strike. They were behind in every single at-bat, it seemed. So I don't feel as good as Pablo Lopez was, 
I feel equal to the Astros' lack of offensive approach. I didn't love their approach in yesterday's game uh, going into that one. Lopez is a strike thrower. And then early trends, too. Like, he's getting ahead of every single hitter. He's challenging early in counts, and the Astros are sitting there watching early in counts. Uh, I didn't love the approach, and the offense was stale yesterday from, from the first pitch all the way to the very end. The other thing, too, Jeremy, that bothered me was there was a lot of just, I know you're sitting on a certain pitch, right? But with two strikes, you still, whether you choke up or shorten your, your approach and, and your stride and your swing, you're protecting the plate. There were a lot of guys watching gas right down the middle with, you know, with two strikes on them and just turning around and walking back to the dugout. And that was bothersome because you would think they're going to try and protect a little bit more and kind of spit on something to get another pitch. And they just kind of put the bat in the back pocket and walk back to the dugout. Yeah, I don't know if I need big leaders to choke up, but they were watching so many well, fastballs I mean, right though. down yeah. the middle. Like Michael Brantley was looked at an 0-1 fastball right down the middle. Alex Bregman, I thought, was fooled completely. Alex Bregman's first at bat, he's yelling at the home plate umpire, and it's very clearly strike three. And that's, one, Bregman doesn't usually get animated. And two, Bregman's usually not wrong. The fact that he was animated and wrong might be the first time I've ever seen Bregman animated and wrong. So that wasn't a great sign early. And then Fromber Valdez just, that's another one of my bads from yesterday's game. Fromber Valdez was was disappointing. We've, we've talked about him throughout the entire year. Uh, last year, we thought that Fromber Valdez kind of figured it all out, right? The, the consistency, the being able to block like the negative things that are happening in a game, to put that aside. Maldine, uh, Martin Maldonado is his psychologist and uh, can help him through those tough times. This year, he's kind of reverted back to some of old Fromber tendencies where he's inconsistent, where things start to mount in an inning and it snowballs out of control, it avalanches out of control. And we saw that again yesterday with Fromber, uh, that in those situations, situations when things started to mount against him he couldn't make the big pitch to get out of an inning at a big time Fromber Valdez is supposed to be arguably your ace I was I was advocating for Fromber to go game one that was stupid Fromber was awful yesterday yeah he really was um the emotions did seem to get the best of him but his stuff wasn't great either it seemed like he was really struggling to throw his curveball early uh I, I mean and when he was throwing it it seemed like it was sitting um, I, I just looked at a, at a guy that was not what I was expecting. I was with you. I thought he should be the game one starter. Um, in retrospect, I'm extremely happy he wasn't. Uh, you hope that he learned something, that maybe he just wasn't as sharp, uh, that hopefully he can come back and, and be ready uh, You know, whenever you may need him, if you're going to need him again. But it's disappointing that that was the outcome that you got because looking at the matchup, you knew you were getting their ace. So you knew Fromber had to be able to match him and right away, right from the get-go, you get down one, then you give up the two-run bomb, and suddenly you're down 3 nothing. And at that point, to me, it almost felt insurmountable because, yeah, it was one thing to say Lopez was dealing, but I just didn't think Fromber had his A game. No, Fromber was uh, was not good. Aggie Matt here on the on the uh, text line, 713-780-3776. If Fromber gets the calls at the bottom of the zone, game would have been different. I saw the umpire scorecard. I, I don't. I'm not a big bash umpire kind of guy unless it's a you know massive call in a massive spot that's massively wrong, kind of like the Joe West whenever he called the fan interference when Mookie Betts literally leapt into the crowd at Minute Maid Park. I saw the ump score card that actually benefited the Astros. Did it? Uh, yeah, so it's like, I mean, it, it was a floating zone. The, the ump score card, the ump auditor, whatever they're calling it, uh, actually says that it benefited the Astros. The whole Royce Lewis walk ahead of Carlos Correa, quite frankly, I would have walked Royce Lewis there myself. I thought like, they set up the double play. Exactly. First yeah. base is open. There's one out. Carlos Correa hits into a lot of double plays. Fromber Valdez is a ground ball pitcher. I, I didn't mind pitching around Royce Lewis there. Now, Carlos Correa had his 
you know, typical heroic playoff performance and beat you. Uh, a lot of people are critical in hindsight, too, about leaving Framber Valdez in to face Carlos Correa after the walk of Lewis that loaded the bases with one out. And then, of course, Correa gets the two RBI single. Framber Valdez lifted from the game. I saw a lot of Phil Maton to come on to face Lewis and Correa. What would you make of uh, Dusty Baker's decision there? I was fine with him staying in the game. I, I didn't have a, a big problem with it. I don't know that I trust Maton as much as some do. But I felt I still felt like Fromber was you know give him a chance to work his way out because I also felt like at that point three nothing felt like to me like I said like it was an uphill battle anyway. But I thought that he had enough to possibly get himself out of there. I was fine leaving him in. I saw the people that wanted Mayton. He said after the game right on the field uh, on the interview with the Fox folks um, that he was expecting to see Mayton. And then the biggest problem I have is is that you know, and I didn't think about it until after he said it, but he goes, I, I you know, been behind him enough to know exactly what he's gonna do. He's looking for a ground ball and he's gonna hit me with nothing but change ups and stuff down. And he got what he wanted. He knew what he was looking for and he did something with it. Yeah, he's uh Carlos Correa is a high IQ player. Like we, we saw it we saw it in his entire Astro career. Uh, we saw it on display last night with his approach against Fromber in that spot. It comes through in the clutch. And we also saw it in, in game one, whenever he deked Jose Abreu on that play at second base. Uh, Correa has always been a high IQ guy. Uh, no, no surprise there. I, I thought Dusty handled game one fine, honestly. Like, I would have pulled Verlander after the sixth inning as well. Neris didn't help Dusty out by giving up back-to-back home runs, letting Minnesota back into the game. Hector Neris, uh, a bad in that front. But I thought Dusty managed that game fine. You know, went to Neris, had the quick hook on Neris, brought Abreu in for an inning and a third. Ryan Presley was very, very good. I had no issues at all with Dusty Baker in game one. I didn't mind leaving Fromber in against Carlos Correa yesterday. The one issue, and it, it did not cost the Astros the game at all. So before you put words in my mouth and try to sp- like paint that narrative, it, this did not co- cost the Astros the game. But whenever you're down by five runs in the fifth inning and Martin Maldonado's walking to the plate with a runner on base, you, you have to pinch hit. You're chasing five runs in the fifth inning. You have 15 outs left to play with. You have to pinch hit for Martin Maldonado in that spot. It's a righty. We know that Martin Maldonado does not hit righties. You're down by five runs. Fromber Valdez has already been lifted from the game. The only issue I had all week, and there were several questionable decisions, the only one that I have uh, qualms with is letting Martin Maldonado bat in the fifth inning yesterday. Did it cost him the game? No, absolutely not. Did Yonder Diaz have success? He came on pinch hit later in the game, did not have success. But you got to play the numbers there. Martin Maldonado should not have an at-bat when the starter's been lifted and you're down by five runs in the fifth inning. No, you're right. And that's something that, you know, Dusty is always going to lean on the side of his vets. But at that point, I think, you know, you just have smarter heads have to prevail and go, if we are going to have any chance at doing this, we can't be having guys half-ass it and hitting the double plays and, you know, loaf up the first baseline and do a lot of things that Maldi does at the plate. And whether, you know, Yiner is playoff tested or not, that shouldn't matter. He's not a veteran, but he hits a hell of a lot better than Maldonado. And you knew that going to the bullpen, that Yiner can handle the bullpen and, that Fromber was about done, that was the time to do it if you were going to do it, and he didn't do it. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a spot where you got to pinch hit, I think. Martin Maldonado is just not a good enough hitter. Uh, the numbers tell you that. And look, does it guarantee that Yiner Diaz is going to have a hit? No, it doesn't. It doesn't, but you play the numbers there. Uh, fine with what Dusty did the rest of the weekend. And look, now you go to Minnesota and you try to take a uh, take at least one game, get it back to Houston. It'd be really nice if you take two. Sonny Gray and Javier tomorrow is massive. And Sonny Gray has had the Astros number. I mean, he had, he's had he, everybody. Yeah, number. he's been very good all year, but in particular, I think he had double digit strikeouts the last time he faced the Astros. Yeah, his first start this or, year in eleven April. Yeah, in yeah. April. Yeah, he uh, 
he's he's been very very good, and you're going to have to have your best offensive lineup, you know, clicking on all cylinders to beat that guy. You think they? Do you think they go with their best offensive lineup? No. Yeah, I don't either. Like Martin Maldonado is catching Javier. Oh no, no. First of all, we already agreed to that. Look, the first three starters. Maldi's catching all three stars. Yeah. I'm just saying the guys that are in the offensive line, lineup are going to have to be better, right? I mean, aside from Altuve and Jordan, Tucker's going to have to be better, and Bregman's going to have to be better, and and all these guys are going to have to try and you know figure some stuff out because Sonny Gray's going to be dealing, and that crowd's going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be a little colder. Uh, a lot of adjustments for the Astros, but they they better come ready to play, and I would like to see them get on the board early. Your thoughts of the first two games of the ALDS, 713-780-ESPN. There was some good that happened over the weekend. We can get to as well. 713-780-3776. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel. That guy over there is Joe George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. I want to save you money. It's October. The weather is good. I'm in a good mood. I want to save you money. I'm a homeowner. Most of you, of course, are homeowners as well. So we can all relate that home insurance rates are through the roof. 30, 40, 50 percent, even higher increases we've seen this year. It's, it's ridiculous, super expensive. How do you stop that ridiculousness? Well, grab your phone right now because you're about to text TGS Insurance Agency. TGS is the fastest growing agency in Texas. Why? Because they make you they make saving you money fast and easy. We want that. We want fast. We want easy. We want to save. Their instant quoting system shops the market for you so you don't have to and delivers you a proposal within 15 seconds. Like I said, it is fast. You cannot afford to wait any longer. And look, you can have no reason to be lazy easier fast and easy the time to save is right now take the phone text the word money m-o-n-e-y to 23-23-23 the tgs system will ask for your address just send that back right to them you'll get their proposal with excellent coverage within 15 seconds it is easy tgs is winning for people everywhere up the coast to the woodlands from Katy to cyprus all the way to beaumont tgs customers save big over 35,000 of your neighbors in the area trust TGS, and with thousands of five-star reviews, you can trust them as well. It's simple, it's fast, it's easy, and big savings. That's why TGS is the gold standard. Don't be left paying more. Get those savings right now. Just text money to 232323. How are you feeling with the series heading to Minnesota tied at a game apiece? You mentioned that weather. It's going to be a little chilly mm-hmm. in Minnesota. You like that? Is that good? I don't know how I feel about the cool I, I'll weather. I'll tell you this. When I played, I didn't like it in the 50s. Because, it, it, you know, I just, I just you know, I, I, I loved football in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, baseball in the 50s, I mean, look, I was the guy that always wanted my arm warm. So even when it was 90 out, I was wearing wool sleeves because I, I just, I wanted to keep a sweat going. But I think... For a team that plays indoors and plays in, you know, in the Houston weather, I think it'll be a bit of an adjustment at this time of the year, but they'll be fine. Yeah, hopefully they're uh, hopefully they're fine. Because if not, they might not come back to Houston. Yeah, the high tomorrow is fifty eight, and then the high on uh, it's fifty eight on both days. So maybe the Astros can uh, figure out a way to hit when the weather is a little bit cool. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN Austin. Uh, I enjoyed the roof being open last night at the Astros game, even though the crowd noise is preferred with the roof closed. I read in an article that Major League Baseball uh, made the call to open the roof. 
I, Dusty said that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually that is a, a Major League Baseball call whenever they get to the playoffs, which I find to be ridiculous. I do too. I find both sides of this argument to be ridiculous. One, like Robert Manfred and Major League Baseball should not be determining the home team on what to do with their roof. Secondly, if you're complaining about the roof somehow impacting the game, I think that is also ridiculous. It's two different. Yeah, there's two different s- stories here. I, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is you didn't win or lose the game because the roof was open. Uh, but the fact that every team has a home field advantage or a preference for their home field, and it should be completely 100% their decision in, in the environment that they choose to play in. And if they choose to play like the Texans always choose to play with the roof closed because they believe it makes it louder, so be it. That's their call. It's frustrating, but that's their call. In baseball, it should be the exact same way. And Rob Manfred and the and the powers that be in New York should not be the final say-so because I saw Julian Morales had tweeted out earlier in the day, roof closed, and then all of a sudden the story was roof open, and Major League Baseball came in and, and did what they're capable of doing. I just don't agree with it. I think that you know in certain environments, the crowd plays a bigger factor, and, and, and the, the team players themselves have a certain preference. I think Verlander's a guy that prefers to pitch with the roof closed. If, if my pitcher, just like Fromber's uniform choice, if my pitcher decides that he wants the roof closed, then the roof should be closed. Yeah, I don't think Major League Baseball should have any influence. I, I don't think that we should be complaining about the roof at all uh, in terms of like it impacting games, but I, I tend to agree. Like, if if you want it open, you should have it open. If you want it closed, you should have it closed. It's your home field. It's your home foot advantage. Like, why are you playing for the best seed to have home foot advantage if you're going to take a piece of that home foot advantage into the hands of Major League Baseball? Not, not thrilled about that, but I'm also not going to waste time complaining about it. I think you're kind of wasting your breath when you do. Uh, 3209, I'm texting you complain about the fans. They never stood up once after first pitch. I've seen this conversation going on a yeah. lot, too. I saw a lot of people bitching in the game itself just – you know, and they're basing it, and a lot of times they they got to realize sometimes the audio mix is different with each network because I've flipped the channels and and I've noticed different levels from the nat sounds and the audio. But nonetheless, this was something that was under people's skin, and I think they were looking for something to complain about once the Astros got down. But people were not happy with the lack of fan involvement throughout the game. Yeah, to, this this is another one of those things where like. What what are you complaining about? Like, I don't think that it has major influence on the game of baseball. Like, the Astros lost yesterday. Frommer was not good. The offense did not play well. And we're complaining about fan noise. And if you're cheering or booing Carlos Correa, I find it to be ridiculous. Like, these are peripheral side points that I don't even think are worth talking about. If Joe wants to cheer for Correa and, Joel, you want to boo Correa... I'm going to sit here in the middle and say, cool for you guys. I want to watch the next pitch. It's the same thing with like the wave or not the wave mm-hmm. or the roof open, the roof close. Like people are so worried about points that make absolutely no difference. The roof you can make, you know, a little bit of a case for, but everything, like who cares? Like you're in the middle of a postseason. You're going to Minnesota trying to, you know, come back home, maybe take two. That would be really nice. You don't have to see Pablo Lopez again. And people are having debates on booing and cheering Carlos Correa and whether or not the fans should be standing up at a certain period of time like you're wasting your breath it's silly again you're you have the right with social media now and everything else to voice your opinion on whatever whenever you want but if you want to voice your opinion and say that the game and the outcome of the game went against you because the roof that the the, what how the fans uh, you know participated in the game uh if they cheered or booed for carlos correa i mean the, the the side things don't matter what matters is you got absolutely set down on your rear ends by a pitcher that was dealing. 
and, and you didn't hit the ball the way you did anywhere close to in game one, and you took the loss, and that's the bottom line. And you can go down to say Fromber wasn't good. You can say the offense in certain spots wasn't good. You can say they did their job, they did what they were supposed to. But don't tell me that they lost the game because the roof was open or and, and other things, or there wasn't enough of a home field advantage because that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I think that those points are, are silly. Triple zero two choice, Yiner catcher or Doobie center fielder? I guess if you get to pick one, which would you rather have, Yiner catching or Mauricio Dubon in center field? Boy, um... I guess I'd take Yiner catching. Yeah, I think I would go. I'd go Yiner catching. I, I like what Dubon did at the end of the season. Chaz still has some playoff heroics. Would it? Would I be upset though if Mauricio Dubon got a start in center field? No, I wouldn't be upset if Mauricio Dubon got a start in center field and Chaz sat the bench I, for a game. Like that wouldn't that wouldn't rub me the wrong way. Chaz as good of a season as he had too. Sometimes he just looks overmatched, or he just doesn't. He's got a long swing, and a lot of times it just to me feels like he doesn't fit. And if he's not hitting the ball. Then, and you want to mix it up a little bit and put Doobie in there and give him a shot, I got no problem with it. Uh, four, one, two, three. the entire point of home foot advantage is the fans, and you're saying how they cheer is irrelevant. That is an awful take. Go look at the Astros' home record this year. The Astros have a worse record at home than they did in the road. They were below 500 at home. Now, I know their postseason success is good, but no, I don't think that there is... I don't think that there is a boost in performance based on the the crowd being loud or the crowd being quiet. I think that home foot advantage, the boost of performance comes into comfortability of the ballpark, like the whole travel thing, not traveling, and then batting last. Like if if the if the decibel levels at one hundred one versus ninety three, are the Astros going to be a far superior team when the decibel levels eight points higher? No, I don't think so. I think it's a myth. Here, here's the thing that I would say, Jeremy. I, I think that if in certain spots the crowd matters. Right, I mean, football. It, I think it does. I think if you're the road team, the if you're the road team, and there's a pitcher with the bases loaded in a tough situation, and you get extremely, extremely loud, whether it's being able to hear the the the, the pitch call, or it's it's the fact that you know there's an adrenaline boost, or you know you can feel your nerves a little bit more because of the raucous crowd. That's one thing, but expecting them to stand and cheer the entire game is just it's completely uh, in my mind it's almost impo- virtually impossible and i don't think you're ever going to see it if that's what you're looking for i think in certain key moments it's like uh Wainwright was talking about last night and i thought it was a good point if you want if you think adrenaline in the first inning of a game or when a guy first takes the mound gives him a couple extra miles an hour it's possible in the first inning or the first couple pitches they throw. But if you're expecting that same adrenaline to be there in inning two and inning three, it's just not going to be. Yeah, I think it's case by case. I think it I think it can impact some players, and I think it could have the opposite impact on some players too. I think that there's players who thrive on going on the road and hearing jeers and loud boos. Like, we see text every day, and we've seen text today. The Astros are better on the road because they thrive on boos. So what? what's to say that Pablo Lopez isn't a pitcher that thrives on the road atmosphere and silencing a road crowd? Uh, Phillies fan here, you're dead wrong. The Astros took two of three in Philadelphia in the World mm-hmm. Series, but we're dead wrong? Like, okay, where was the home foot advantage there when the Astros won game four and game five? In Philadelphia. If Philly was a little bit louder, they might have won another game. Get out of here. Philly fans just want you to throw batteries and full beer cans at 80-year-old women and have a have a judge waiting to pass uh, any kind of judgment on any kind of crime in the stadium, and then they'll feel like you've got a real home field. Uh, look, I want the crowd to be loud. I-, I want the crowd to back their team. That's what they're there to do. But I, I just think it's completely impossible to think 
that you know that you ex- that you should expect that they're going to be standing throughout the game. They're going to be cheering throughout the game. And quite honestly, in Houston, you're going to have a lot of fans that say sit down when you are standing throughout the game because that's just kind of the way it is here. Four four zero three. It makes a difference. Doesn't mean you'll win. What difference? Like, what difference? And look, it sounds like I'm poo-pooing, like, crowd atmosphere and noise. I'm not. Like, I love an electric ballpark. It'd be great to have it. I'm just not worried about what the decibel reading was at Minute Maid Park last night whenever they're about to go to Minnesota trying to split two games on the road. I'm not worried about the decibel level is in Minnesota. Not worried what it is about in Houston. I want to talk about how Fromber Valdez looked poor. We can talk about Dusty Baker decisions, but what the decibel level is at Minute Maid Park I think is a useless conversation. I think a lot of times it's fanboy media, the guys who aren't really in the media, who they don't want to take shots at the players and criticize Fromber Valdez for his performance. They don't want to criticize the Astros for being, what, one for seven with runners in scoring position. So they go, oh, the fans weren't loud enough. Oh, why are you booing Carlos Correa? Because they're cowards and they don't want to actually talk about, like, what's going on in the game. And the fact that the Astros lost yesterday, it's their fault. They had guys on base. They should have won that game. From Rivaldez wasn't good enough. Like, it's really cut and dry. Booing Carlos Correa is not why the Astros are 1-1 in this series. The Astros lost yesterday. Where in importance does the decibel level of Minute Maid Park and booing Carlos Correa come into play? Because Fromber, uh, the offense, lack of production, lack of success with runners in scoring position, just lack of offense and success, period. Like, if you want the crowd to be noisy, how about Fromber Valdez go pitch six shutout innings? You want the crowd to be noisy, how about you deliver a a two-out RBI single? That's going to make the crowd noisy. That is priority, not the decibel level at Minute Maid Park. You got out-hit, you got out-pitched, and dare I say you got outfielded defensively by the plays that were made, like the plays and the intangible play, like the play Correa made, some of the plays. Yeah, look, I'm not saying Payne didn't make a great play, too. But overall, you got outplayed, and that's the reason why you lost the game. You didn't step up big in big moments. It wasn't because of these intangibles and sideshows. It was because, unlike game one, when you jumped out early and you, you sent the message and you got you know pitching from Verlander when you needed it, he wasn't great, but he was good enough. It was the exact opposite in game two, and you got outplayed. Yeah, that's that's priority of anything. You got outplayed, you didn't hit, Fromber didn't pitch all that well. All of those things. The crowd being noisy is 28th on the list of this priority. Every time you got an aerial, I mean, a, a wide shot or, or some of the shots that they were giving you, that the towels were waving, the people were loud. I just think it's unrealistic to think that they're going to be doing that from first pitch to last pitch. Seven one three. Yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever. Are the, the Astro fans the most raucous? No. Because they're the most raucous, does it mean they're going to stink in the playoffs? Eh, I don't think so. They have the best playoff success in the last decade in all of baseball. Seven, stop worrying about that. 713-780-3776. How do you feel with this series going to Minnesota? you got Christian Javier against Sonny Gray tomorrow. Sonny Gray's been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. You have to be determined, having a good year, versus to be determined, also having a good year in Game 4. you got to win at least one to get it back to Minute Maid Park on Friday, that raucous Minute Maid Park crowd on Friday with a uh, probable of Pablo Lopez and Justin Verlander. How are you feeling about this ALDS? Can the Astros get to seven straight ALCSs? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I love this sports week because the calendar is perfect for Thursday night college football. You don't have to worry about a game four, game five, ALDS off day. 
is Thursday. So what you should be doing on a Thursday night, heading over to TDECU Stadium where it's going to be another Big 12 tilt. And the weather's going to be good, too. Showdown of the year almost here. Dano Holgerson taking on his former team this Thursday, 6 p.m. at TDECU Stadium. Houston Cougars taking on the West Virginia Mountaineers. Expect an unforgettable night of college football action. Blackout game is also celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, and U of H is running a special. Get up to three, get up to tickets to uh, three games, get tickets to three games for only $66. West Virginia, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. All you have to do is go to uhcougars.com slash tickets or call 713-GO-COUGS. Don't miss out on all the pageantry and fun of college football. Come early, enjoy the tailgating scene, the beautiful weather, enjoy all the new activities in Cougar Alley in front of TDECU Stadium, including a huge LED TV screen, a Bud Light backyard, great spot for a drink, and much, much more. Spirit of Houston at the half, entertainment by cheerleaders, Cougar Dolls, Shasta, and Sasha. Take advantage of this special. Get tickets to three games for only $66. West Virginia, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State in this package. Go to uhcougars.com slash tickets or call 713-GO-COOGS. Come early, be loud, and wear black on Thursday. Join Culture Map and Sports Map on October 25th for the Tailgate, an all-out celebration of Houston sports and the fans who cheer them on. Savor Tailgate-inspired bites from your favorite restaurants, including FM Kitchen, Twin Peaks, the Waffle Bus, and many more. Sip on signature drinks, enjoy game day activities, plus VIP ticket holders can meet and greet with former Houston Texan Jonathan Joseph. Tickets are on sale now. Include all food and drinks. Use promo code ESPN for $10 off any ticket type. Head to tailgate.culturemap.com, tailgate.culturemap.com to get your tickets today. Uh, Roger Clemens will be on with the bench. Or can we call him the bench still? Uh, he's going to be on with John and yeah, Lance. Yeah, what is the official, unofficial name? John and Lance. Oh. I saw Social, though, still uses the bench graphic. I don't know. I, I think you can call them either one. They're, they're so sure. cool and p- so popular that they have two names. You can call them the bench. You can call them John and Lance. Doesn't matter. We all know who it is. Joe just throws both hands in the air. I don't know. I, if I knew the answer, I, I would give it to you, but I don't know the answer. They, they're, so. they're, they're two names. That's how, that's how great that show is. But Roger Clemens will be with, uh, with the guys on the bench, John and Lance. Each and every morning at 8 o'clock following an Astro playoff game. Hopefully that continues for a, a few weeks. Mm-hmm. 713-780-ESPN. Can I ask you boys something? Mm-hmm. Uh, of the things that we're just discussing here, did you think the two-out base hit that uh, they should have sent Tuck? No. No? No, you had the tying run coming to the plate. It's 3 nothing in that spot. You, you, I mean, if he scores, it's 3-1. Cool. Tying run still comes to the spot. You, you get thrown out, you might not have it in a bat with the tying run coming to the plate the rest of the game. I thought it was an easy stop. Did you? Yep. I, I, I think that it's still got to be a perfect throw, and I was just wondering because I really couldn't get anything going uh, that I, I thought about it. I thought about, you know, the rule normally is two-out base hit. You know, you, you got to send them because you don't get many opportunities. Not down by three, though. Not down by three with the tying run coming to the play. Like, the the the, the two-out rule I thought rule it was five at that point, into, but if it was three, that, that, does, that makes sense. I mean, if it's but five, I, it's even more of a stop. I, I don't think so. I, I just think if it's five for sure, you're just trying to get on the board you, just just to get every chance you get because you're running out. You had two outs and a base hit. I I, I would have thought about it. Uh, I mean, you can't give up outs when you're trailing by, by multiple runs. Uh, if it's five, there's no chance he's getting the go. Three, I'm still saying no chance. That was the last time the Astros had the tying run coming to the plate. Like, you're looking for a three-run homer in that spot. Uh, I, it was an easy easy stop, I thought. And plus, Castro was in left field. He fielded the ball before Tucker was even at third base. 
Like, it was yeah. It was he? He definitely was right before he got to the bag. Eight four three seven. Just asked his dad. He also said, "Why was Pena not taking second base on a three two count on Maldonado yesterday? That was the early at bat, probably the third. From, nah, it's probably I, I don't remember, but first Maldonado at bat. He had a three two count, one out, or maybe no outs. Uh, Pena started, but then stopped, and then Maldonado hit a ground ball to third, double play. Um, I, I don't know what happened there. Maybe Dusty did have the run and hit, not a hit and run. You would never have a hit and run with a three ball two strike count, but it could have been a run and hit. Uh, and Pena just didn't like the jump that he got, so he stopped, which is fine. Like, that's fine. Um, also, you could question if Maldonado should have been bunting in that spot. Yeah, because the last thing you needed was what Maldi normally likes to serve up for you, which is an easy double play ball. And he, you know, definitely did that. I, I, I understand it. Like, in retrospect, it's easy to say that he, sh- he should have been going. But like you said, I mean, it looked like he had the notion. I don't think he's trying to deke anybody there. He started to go, and then he's pulled up, stopped, and then you know you hit into the double play, and everybody's first thought is, well, he should have been running there, and, yeah. and the broadcasters were talking about it. But, I mean, that's a feel, feel call by your manager. My best guess on seeing that play happen is that Dusty wanted Pena to go, and Pena didn't like his jump. Like, Pena's not – I don't think Pena's doing that on a 3-2 count because a lot of times you'll see like a, like a deke to take a few steps a second, and the thought there is to get the infield moving. That way you open up some space. That, that wasn't Pena's step, though. Like, Pena's first step initially was, like, go hard, try to take the bag, or at least avoid a double play uh, if there's a ground ball. I, I don't think Pena was comfortable with the jump. I think that was more that than anything from the dugout. Like It looked like he was trying to get the middle infielders to move, one or the other. You know, just trying to get them to move before contact to try and help Maldi out. But it didn't look like he was doing a hard steal. On, I think on, on first move. I think Dusty had him running and Payne didn't like the jump. That's that's my guess. No one asked and no one gave an answer, so don't really know. Um, I thought Maldi should have bunted in that spot anyways, to be quite honest with you. Why is Maldi swinging a bat, period, against righties? He's um, been popping up bunts lately, though, which doesn't help you, but it does avoid the double play. Well, maybe not, because if Payne gets an extended lead, then it's all of a sudden oh, it's a pop-up right. double play. So that's a good point. Um What'd you make of Pena doing the little Rick Root at second base after his double? Almost got his first home run since July fifth. <laughs> not then, not not when you're trailing. You know, you can do all the stuff and sh- you know show out when you're you know doing something big in a big moment with a tight game or you're in the lead. But down the way they were down, struggling the way they were struggling, I was like, what's he doing? I can understand it from a from a point of view of let's try to fire up the dugout type of thing. I'm probably not doing the whole little hip rotation and, and whatever we're going to call that. I call it looked the like little, a Rick Rue. It was just surprising. It looked like Rick Rue. It was a little extra. Like if you want to like go to the dugout, like let's go, vamos. Like that's fine. Like I, I get so, that. But the Rick Rue part of it. Eh, eh, eh. I'm just so used to Jerry Painter's throwing off the hands and making yeah, the heart. I know. He's and, like, then, and then he went full, full thrust. pelvic thrust on us. He's <laughs> usually reserved and like does the whole. Hard, I love you, mom. And then he goes Rick Rude down by five in the fifth. Full change. It was weird. It's bizarre. Like I, but like it didn't. You know who else did with it? I don't love it. Who's the left fielder from it that played with Arizona? That's with the Dodgers. The other night, they're down nine nothing, yeah. and he gets a double, oh. and he does all of that and more, and does all the Dodger celebration. It's like, bro, you're getting your ass kicked, and you're gonna do that dance because you got on second base. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a bad look, down 9-0. I can understand the let's go, vamos. The, the Rick Rude was was interesting. Three three seven six. why is the city of Houston on pins and needles? Astros play better away anyways. They should take care of business. I think the answer to this is playoff baseball is nerve-wracking. Uh, Sonny Gray's a really good pitcher, and he's going up against Christian Javier, who's been up and down this year, and then you'd have no idea who the Astros are throwing in game four. That's why the city's on pins and needles. I think that's fair to be on pins and needles right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. 
there's a lot to be worried about because you don't seem to have the team, the swagger, the confidence, and 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 all that that kind of intangible stuff going your way like it's gone for so long. It feels like there's a lot to worry about. You've got a young, up and coming, hot team. You just got shown their best pitcher, and he just showed you you have a lot to be concerned with if you have to see him again in a game five. And now you're going on the road, regardless of how you played in the regular season on the road, and that's great, and that you know sets you up to be prepared for it, but you're going to be prepared for a, a, a city that's going to take it to another level that's trying to ride all the momentum that they clearly have, and that's something to be worried about. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's fine to be on pins and needles. It's playoff baseball. You're two games away from elimination. They have Sonny Gray on the mound against Javier, and then you have unknowns in game four. And, and Minnesota's going to be ready to play, too. And I think that they're underrated and a good baseball team. Only goods that I have from the weekend, I thought Justin Verlander was good in his final three innings. Not so good in his first three. And then Jordan. Jordan is a beast. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they continue to pitch to him. But listening to Rocco Baldelli, they're going to. Like, they're not going – they're going to – now, it's different if he's like the tying run, first base open, that sort of thing. But Rocco Baldelli is not going to give Jordan Alvarez the Barry Bonds treatment. No, he's not. And, and you know, even late, I mean, it was it – was, you know, Jordan putting him on the board with another home run. And, you know, I think everybody would be talking about him and he would be the main focus if this was a different story in terms of the outcome of the game. But he's been red hot. And and if they're going to pitch to him, that's, that's just a huge bonus for the Astros. And you got Altuve doing his thing, and it doesn't look like he's struggling like he did a year ago in the early rounds of the playoffs. And so those two guys are not the problem. Those are the bright spots. Those are the guys that you can tip your cap to and say they're doing their job. But you need to see more out of the other guys in the top part of that lineup if this team is truly going to advance and it's going to take full advantage of the the way this team is structured and what they have to do to win ball games because the pitching is so up and down. Poncho, uh, double dong Alvarez that first game. It was good to see. He's got three hits in this series. All three are home runs. That he's he's ridiculous. Jordan Alvarez is ridiculous. One of the best offensive players in all of baseball. I don't think he's ever going to stay healthy enough to like pull it pull up Hall of Fame numbers, I don't think. Like, I don't see... Do you think Jordan Alvarez's body holds up for 3,000 hits really or 500 don't. home runs? I mean, just look at the track record over the last several years. He just... You can't get 130, 140. It's hard to get a full season out of Jordan Alvarez. That's why we created the Jordan rules, because you have to handle him with kid gloves in so many ways to get every ounce of when he's available out of him. And it's just different. It's a different way that baseball's played anyway with the amount of rest guys get. But I just don't see him being healthy for, you know, the majority of a full 162. Yeah, I think he's having a really difficult time getting to the Hall of Fame numbers needed. But right now, at his peak, I'm not trading him for anybody. He, offensively, he is a monster. Ocho, the Astros did their job by stealing one at home. Ha ha. I see it. Astros have been better on the road. Now, now, now here's the thing for you guys, too. Uh, you know, Altuve comes out and says, Jordan, he thinks he's the best hitter in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. That's something we can discuss. But I mentioned this last week, late in the week. That that Arod had said that he and Correa, Correa talk about him being one of the top five best players in baseball when healthy. They doubled down last night and called him one of the best three, along with Bryce Harper and maybe one more. He said in the playoffs. He said in the playoffs he's one of the best three. And but then the discussion because uh, okay, I, I didn't hear it in the playoffs. He said in the playoffs, but because because it came up at the desk and then they started kicking it around. I'm going, God, I can name five right off the top that he's not yeah. even close. I mean, he. I think it's a little bit of recency bias for the big game he had yesterday. But uh, I mean, he is clutch. There's no doubt about that. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. All right, Texans played a football game yesterday in Atlanta. 
the first leg of a little bit of heartbreak in the city of Houston. What did we learn from Sunday's loss against the Falcons? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Guys, before we go to the break, there's a little chill in the air. You know how the temperatures can change drastically and quickly in the city of Houston. You know you can go from hurricane season and all the 100-degree heat all the way down to the 50s in no time at all. And you got to make sure that your house, your mainstay, your biggest investment is protected. And that starts with siding and it starts with windows. And the only place that I can tell you to go, and you know I only speak from experience and telling you and recommending people that I trust, it's Allstate Windows and Siding because Allstate Windows and Siding has been there, they've done that, and they've done it for Houstonians for four decades, four generations, almost 50 years, family owned and operated. They know the business inside and out, and they're going to help you every step of the way. James was at my house this weekend. He was telling me about the windows, explaining what you look for in a window and how windows can help. The bottom line is they're going to keep the heat in and the the, the cool out uh, when you're talking about cold weathers. And when you're talking about the heat and the humidity, they're going to keep all that heat out and keep you nice and secure and cold and cool by doing the siding and doing the windows. And they always take care of you because they always have specials going on, like 12 months interest-free, save $2,000 off a siding job, like $150 off windows with minimum 10 window purchase. They're always going to be there for you, and they're there for you to explain to you just how beneficial siding and windows can be. Check them out right now, allstatewindowsandsiding.com. Give them a call because they're great people, and they're going to talk to you, and they're going to come see what you got, and they're going to explain it all to you to see what you need. 832-204-1936. That's 832-204-1936. Go see my friends at Allstate Windows and Siding. He's blank. I'm Branham. Texans uh, lost a football game yesterday, falling to the Falcons by two in Atlanta. I'm not going to say that they should have won this game, Blankers. Mm -hmm. Definitely could have. Definitely could have won this Mm -hmm. game. I'm not sure that they played well enough where they should have won this game. I think the Falcons are decent. You know, I think they're a bit underrated. I think they're. I think they're capable of winning that division. The top 10 defense, now, I don't think Ritter's going to play this good every single game, but if Ritter can give them 70% of that production, they can be a tough beat. But from a Texans point of view, what did you learn from the Texans yesterday? Well, I think the first thing that I learned was something that last week, late, late in the week, people were being highly critical of C.J. Stroud for, and we found out he's fully capable of doing that too, which is taking your team and leading them from behind uh, he, he led them on a great drive, I thought, and a very strong drive late in the first half with under two minutes to play. But even more importantly, when basically the game's on the line, you got to get a touchdown, you're down, you know, the clock's ticking against you, and he orchestrates a drive that gets right down the field and does exactly what he's supposed to do. I think the first thing I learned is that people need to kind of take that off their list of things you want to criticize the young quarterback for because he's fully capable of doing that too. Yeah, that strat was pretty good. Um the- let them in the final drive, right? They mm-hmm. busted out the double move, got Jesse Bates to fall for it, made the really good throw, um, kept them in the game. Like, I saw some people saying, well, you know, we, we wish he was a little bit aggressive and things like that. They had the lead with under two minutes left to play. Like, and, and Stroud played well. Uh, threw it away a lot. Got away with a couple of errant throws. Like, Jesse Bates, like, Went all in on one, almost intercepted a pass, which probably could have been an interception, but also set up uh, the double move touchdown to Dalton Schultz. I thought Schultz, I, I thought that uh, Stroud was was pretty good. Um, I learned that defensively, D'Amico went all in on the run, and he was going to allow Desmond Ritter to beat him, and Desmond Ritter beat him badly. I mean, 
uh, we, we we went into the weekend talking to, you know, the Atlanta beat writer and others, and, you know, Ritter has looked bad most of the season. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat that. He just hasn't looked good. And so I understand that D'Amico was basically going to pull a Belichick. Let's take away what they do well with Bijan Robinson, and, and let's take away the run and, and make Desmond Ritter beat us. And Desmond Ritter beat you. I mean, first game of his career, over 300 yards. I mean, he was slinging it around the yard. He was making all the big passes, and they were – they were jumping the gun all day long, literally and figuratively. They were so aggressive, and, and we hear all the time about you know D'Amico and all of his different schemes and swarming and all the different things that he was going to do. But they were just they were one beat too fast. They were constantly kind of like too much ca- caffeine in the system. They were jumpy. Um, they, were, they were reacting quickly on the first move, but I thought that they had hurt them in a lot of ways. I also thought that their swarm mentality bit them tremendously. Uh, I've noticed that teams that have success offensively against the Texans this year, a lot of counters, a lot of misdirections. Yesterday, like how many times did they jump off sides? The answer is four. four they yeah. jumped off sides four times yesterday. Why? A little over-aggressive. And that's not a, like, I'd rather them be over-aggressive on their toes than being super conservative on their heels. Now, you can make the case that they were super conservative on their heels on that final drive. You gotta watch the ball, though, man. Like that's unacceptable. Four four offside penalties for an NFL team is unacceptable. If this would have if this would have happened under Lovey Smith, if this would have happened under David Cully or Bill O'Brien, we would be crushing the Texans for four offside penalties. I know it's a first year head coach. I know it's a very young defense. Four and look, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt once. Four offside penalties should never happen again no. under D'Amico Ryan's watch. No, this isn't, you know, this is the same way Mike McCarthy got killed a year ago for the Cowboys because they couldn't control their penalties and they kept doing a lot of these kind of things on defense. It's just unacceptable because you have a lot of players. And I love the fact that they're not only aggressive, but they're athletic. And if they miss on the, on the initial contact, they're finding a way to stay aggressive, get back in the play, you know. Guys aren't giving up on plays. And you love that kind of can-do mentality. But where you don't love it is is when they're so overzealous that they can't, you know, stay behind the line of scrimmage until the ball is snapped. And it hurts you because, you know, short distance with the chains is, you know, a completely different playbook for an offensive coordinator knowing I've already gotten my chunk play and we haven't even had first down on, on this series. I'm good. I, I can start, you know, trying some experimenting with some gadget plays, doing some other things, taking some chances, and they took some chances that worked out for them. On the other end of that, though, the Texans offensively was like, oh, how many how many times are you going to run a first and 10 for almost no gain? I went back and looked at this uh, earlier today. The amount of times that the Houston Texans were in a third and long situation, and I'm qualifying a third and long as seven yards or greater, seven, eight, nine, greater. Uh, they were in 13 third downs yesterday, and they were four for 13 in third downs. Eight of those 13 were in what I'm considering third and long situations. Yeah. You cannot be in third and long and win in the NFL against anybody. Atlanta's a top 10 defense in the NFL. They're a top five to seven. We'll see where it lands this week after all the games are played. They're a top five to seven passing defense in the NFL. And you were sitting there in third and long, and because they're so scared to blitz C.J. Stroud, because Stroud picks teams apart in the blitz, they were dropping eight into coverage almost every single time. There was one time that they didn't. Stroud converted a first down like on a third and seven. You cannot live in third and seven and longer. And the Texans lived there way too much in that game yesterday. They did. And, and you know, the other thing that I didn't like, Jeremy, was when you did get that occasional chunk play with a good run out of Pierce, the minute that, you know, they get reset into a reformation, they give it right back to Pierce and they jam it right down to the middle of the line. And there were back-to-back runs way too often. I felt like I was watching more of a Bill O'Brien offense than I was Bobby Slowick and some of the offensive plays that we've seen prior to this. I thought they were way too heavily focused on the run. I, I thought that they ran the ball back-to-back too many times when I thought that they had some momentum going. And I thought it was their worst enemy. 
my my thing too is like after they converted a first down, then immediately go back to the run because mm-hmm. they went a lot of run on first down, like a lot, a ton, way more than passing. When it's like, hey, just pass, and I understand that you can't fully abandon the run. Like I understand that you need to be able to run the football in the NFL. Uh, Brandon Staley had that quote last year: "We have to run like humans need air." A uh, paraphrasing slightly. So I understand that you need to run, but you don't need to run on first and ten. Mm-hmm. Like get a four or five yard quick screen game, something something through the air, and put yourself in a second and four. That way, if you get stuffed at the line on a second and four, you got a okay, well, you're in a third, third and medium, yeah. third and yep. short, as opposed to first down run, lose a couple of yards, second and 12, then you're either running or getting some short game with the passing, and now it's a, it's a third down and seven, third down and seven or longer. Uh, so, And then also they would have like an explosive play. We're like, okay, well, there's Nico Collins on one of his few catches, or a Tank Dell before he got hurt, like 12 yards, 14 yards, convert first down on the very first play of a drive, Hand off Damian Pierce goes for two yards. Yeah. It, it was it, it drove me crazy how committed they were to running the football on first and, and the one that I, the other there was it happened twice for sure that I remember is that Pierce got a lot of yards after the after the first contact and it was like the pinball but he was grinding right and it takes a lot out of you and he gets ten to fifteen yards. And then right away, they huddle up, and the first thing they do on kind of a quick huddle, but the first thing they do is hand it right back to Pierce, and he seems like he's got no juice left because of what he just did, and he runs it smack dab in the middle of the line. And like you said, it's either no gain or a one- or two-yard loss, and you're going, well, now you're setting yourself back when you had some momentum because he just got a massive run that you really needed. Now open it up, quick passing. That's been working for you all season long. I just think that they're fighting their own identity. When you see this team, you know it's a passing offensive team. You know that the short passes really work for this team. And as teams concentrate on the short pass, just like if they were concentrating on the run, though you need balance, Mm -hmm. this is a different way to get it. Then you can take your shots. But doing what they were doing was was frustrating to watch. Get get them in like use that as an extension of your running game. Like exactly if what I mean. You can't if you can't beat them in the trenches. Okay, use them and the, use that short passing game as an extension of the running game. You see that in college all the time. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. What what do you think is the biggest reason this running game for the Texans is not good? What did you learn from the Texans yesterday, falling to two and three as they lose to the Falcons? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer bees. ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN. A little more football action tonight. Monday Night Football brings Week 5 to a close. And you know where you need to be to watch this Monday Night Football action. Little Woodrow's catch the game there tonight. They have game days covered better than anybody else. It's my favorite sports bar in Houston. I'm there every week. I'm going to be there tomorrow, too, uh, as the Astros take on the Twins in Game 3 of the ALDS. This is your spot to catch the Astros in the playoffs, especially the Edo location. Uh, they're within a walking distance of Minute Maid Park. Big parties before the game, during the game, and after the game as well. Great spot to watch the Astros tomorrow at 3. I'll be there. Large potty, uh, large patios with HDTVs, jumbotrons with all the sports you want to watch, and there is never a bad seat in the house. Fall weather is here. Postseason baseball is here. Football is going on nearly every day. It's Woodrow's season. Little Woodrow's is a casual backyard bar that you can find all over H-Town. Game day bucket specials, daily drink specials, great food. Whether it's a location with a kitchen or a spot with food trucks, it's all fantastic. I love steak night. Uh, Good times, colder beer, local bites. It's Southern hospitality at its finest. Make Little Woodrow's your happy hour spot, your game day location, or just where you relax on the patio with good drinks and good company and it's pet friendly three new locations coming soon sugarland webster and you want an edo come hang out with me and edo tomorrow afternoon little woodrow's your local texas watering hole